My name is Kent, and I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm really glad that you're here with us today. And uh, love Easter. And I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and tell them what is your favorite thing about Easter. If someone's sitting by themselves, you can probably snag one of these kids, and they'll talk to you. So your favorite thing about Easter, tell your neighbor quick. Okay, and if any kid didn't get candy or a bag, you can see Kyle. I think you still have some bags back there, right, and candy? So you're welcome to that. Or if you're an adult and you want a bag and some candy, talk to Kyle. I love hearing the Easter story I, over and over again. It's Every year it's uh, a great reminder, a fresh reminder. And we're going to be reading it out of Luke today because we've been going through Luke 22, 23, now we're up to Luke 24. We get to hear this great story, and I'd like to invite you to read along with me. So if you brought a Bible, great. If there's a Bible in the chair, you can grab that or open up your phone to, or your device to a, a Bible and turn to Luke 24. So we're in the New Testament in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, third Gospel, last chapter, chapter 24. I'm going to be reading chapter 24, starting with verse 1. But before we read this, I'd like you to know that you're in my prayers, and here's the prayer I have for you. The Lord be with you. Luke 24, verse 1. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb. Taking the spices that they had prepared, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again? Then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe them. But Peter got up, ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So I have recently uh, taken up a fascination with reading memoirs. Uh, memoirs are books that try to like explain somebody's life and kind of tries to find the meaning of somebody's life. And I've got two particular kinds of memoir that I enjoy the most. One is memoir that have been written by ordinary people, people like you and I who try to figure out you know what difference their life made or what was the point of it. And I actually started reading one just this past week um, called My Family and Other Hazards. And it's written by a woman who's Parents were school teachers, and one year on a whim, they bought a mini golf course in Wisconsin. And then every summer after that, the family would have to traipse over and run this golf course from uh, every summer. And then she writes this memoir from the perspective of the 18 holes of the golf course and how each one of the holes on their mini golf course represented something about her life. Love it. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. The other kind of memoir I like are the ones that are really short. 
And there's a thing out there about writing six word memoirs. Have you heard about this? That you try to encapsulate your entire life and its meaning in just six simple words. And I really love these. I've got some examples here for you of people who have written six-word memoirs. Here's one of them. Wouldn't you like to meet that person? That person is completely optimistic. I'd love to see this person. Not all of the six-word memoirs are that optimistic. Here's another one. Now, when I read this one, it struck me as this one is actually sounding a lot more realistic because it feels like most of our lives have two realities. We've got the reality of sadness and joy, life and death, celebration and grief, tragedy and triumph. Isn't that what life is like often? That sometimes things are just great and sometimes things are just awful. And we have to be honest about that. Pain and pleasure, two different tracks. And sometimes this creates tension. And so that led to some of these other titles, I think, of people's six-word memoirs. Here's another one. Ever... Does that ever sound like your life? Something goes off the rails and maybe you didn't see it coming. Maybe this one. I've known some people whose life changed in an instant. Of course, I also like the memoirs that are kind of clever and maybe have a little bite to them or maybe some humor in their statements. So this one caught my attention this week. Okay, and if you're under the age of 50, you're going, I don't even know what that means. But if you're in my category, you get that exactly, or older. And then this one caught my eye, too. (laughs) Sometimes you have to let them sink in just a little bit. My dad used to joke about the words that he wanted on his tombstone, and I didn't realize this until this week when I was thinking about this, but it actually was six words, and here's the six words he wanted on his tombstone. He often felt like nobody ever listened to him, so I guess that would be appropriate, a different kind of memoir. Um, Here's one that was probably my favorite of the week. And when I read that, I started to think about Easter, and I was thinking about these are kind of hope-filled words of expectation, which is exactly how we come to Easter, isn't it? We come every year with big, grand expectations about what is going to happen and how we're going to celebrate And I want to suggest then another six-word memoir that is actually a memoir of our faith, maybe of all of Christianity, kind of six autobiographical words that are at the core of what we believe as Christians. And if I was going to do that, I would choose these six words. These six words tell us that something amazing has happened. And we've come here today to celebrate this amazing thing And I want us to reflect for just a moment on the fact that this is really the heart of the story. It might be the whole story of our faith. Jesus is risen from the dead. Did you know that there are about 780,000 words in the average English Bible? 780,000 words. And I submit to you that none of those words make sense without these six words. Jesus is risen from the dead. Did you know that there are roughly 2 billion Christians in the world today? 2 billion people who claim to be Christian. And Christianity is not only not possible without these six words. It doesn't even really make sense. In fact, according to the Bible, 
without the words, Jesus is risen from the dead, Christianity is nonsense. In fact, the Bible says that if Jesus is not risen from the dead, then we Christians who believe this, of all people, should be pitied more than anyone else. Since that first resurrection day, there have been billions and billions and maybe billions of words that have been preached and written and blogged and conversed about our faith. There's been endless words about Christianity and what it means. And all of those billions of words about Christianity are meaningless without these six words. Jesus is risen from the dead. These are the words that the women took from the tomb to go tell the disciples. These are the words that have been passed on from person to person, from generation to generation, for centuries. These are the words from the first Easter that transformed those disciples, transformed them from kind of anxious, fearful, broken people so that they became faithful, audacious followers of Jesus Christ. These six words gave new life. These six words changed everything. These six words have been whispered at bedsides and shouted from rooftops. They've been shared at dinner tables and workplaces and playgrounds. They've been forbidden by governments, both ancient and modern, and yet these six words survive. These six words sustain the saints and rescue sinners. Jesus is risen from the dead. These six words are the guts of our story as Christians. And not just at Easter, but always. These six words are so important, not just because I say so, not just because the church has said so for generations, not just because billions of words have been spilled trying to explain them, but they're important because they're true. Jesus is risen from the dead. And I want us to think about these six words for just the next few minutes, going back to Luke 24 to see how the story unfolds and see if that will tell us something about the truth of these words and how they transform and still transform today. So first of all, you have to notice when you're reading Luke 24 that nobody expected the resurrection. In fact, this is true of all the gospel accounts. If you read it in Matthew, Mark, or John, it's the same in every gospel. Nobody went to the tomb expecting it to be empty. They went to the tomb because they had a ritual to perform, a burial ritual that required a body. And that's what they were going to do. This ritual, they were not able to perform on Friday because they ran out of time. And then they couldn't do it on Saturday because it was the Sabbath and burial work was not allowed on the Sabbath. So the first opportunity they had to do was to go on Sunday morning, bright and early. They've got their um, supplies so that they can give Jesus a proper burial. That's what they've come to do. They're expecting to find a body. And then Luke says this, On the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. That's what you take to do a proper burial. Everybody expected Jesus to be in the tomb, his body dead. Now, grief-stricken, probably still in shock, probably very nervous and afraid because of everything that has happened that weekend, they immediately get more upset because their mission is turned upside down. Luke says, they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they went in, they did not find the body. And this would have been very upsetting to them. And their questions would be, now what? What happened to the body? Who took it? 
was a common discussion that was going around in that day. Someone must have stolen the body. At this time, they weren't singing praise to God and hallelujah and saying, He's risen, and oh yeah, I knew this was going to happen. Jesus said it was going to happen. Nobody was saying that. Everyone was saying, what the heck? Or maybe something stronger, because they were so perplexed by this. And while they were there, Luke says, perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them, and the women were terrified and bowed down their faces to the ground. Now they have no idea what to expect, because dazzling men don't usually appear inside empty tombs. This is how everyone describes that first Easter moment. No one knew what to make of it. Now, isn't this true of life sometimes? Stuff happens that can just be absolutely perplexing sometimes. Stuff happens that we don't expect. And oftentimes when we are in deep grief or faced with uncertainty or, or dealing with shock, things don't turn out as expected, not quite what we planned. Maybe this is an appropriate six-word memoir for some parts of our life. This is not how it's supposed to be. Have you ever been in a moment like that? I know that I have. This is where the women are in this first Easter moment. They don't know where Jesus is, but this is not how it's supposed to be. They're supposed to go perform this ritual. Instead, they encounter two men in dazzling clothes, and these two men tell them, Jesus is not here. You're looking for the living among the dead, they say. Jesus is not dead. Jesus is risen from the dead. Jesus is alive. This message actually then begins to energize the women, so they start to wonder about it. And the the angel does remind them of the things that Jesus had said about this on many occasions predicting his death and his resurrection. It's starting to click for them. And so they're so excited, they get up and they run back to the other disciples and they pour out the story of what they found on that first Easter. And they're greeted by the other disciples with complete and utter skepticism. They doubt them. They don't believe it. In fact, Luke says that when they heard their testimony, they regarded their message as bogus. Well, this is exactly how Luke said it. Returning from the true tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to the rest. Now, this was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women. But those words seemed to them an idle tale. They did not believe it. Now this idle tale, that's an interesting word and this translation is kind of a generous translation because the real word would be closer to something like nonsense. They heard the women's testimony and they said, that's nuts. They're crazy. This is nonsense. It's like twaddle. You know the word twaddle? I just love that word. This is something that's not true and they don't believe the women. So maybe a six-word memoir for these guys at this moment would be something like this. Mm -hmm. And my clicker just stopped working. There. Maybe they're thinking Jesus really isn't risen from the dead. They doubt it. And can you blame them? I mean, many of us have the benefit of hearing about the resurrection year after year after year. You come here on Sunday, Easter Sunday, expecting to sing about the resurrection, to hear about the resurrection, to talk about the resurrection. We come here every year expecting it. But these disciples, this is their first time. They weren't expecting it to happen. And now something completely unbelievable. And resurrection is not 
resuscitation. It's not like Jesus' body was just like swooned and it needed to be, you know, revived. It's not that Jesus was weakened and had to be re-strengthened, revitalized. It was that Jesus was dead and needed to be reanimated. This is the claim in six words. Jesus is risen from the dead. And what this means is that God actually came into human history in order to create an entirely new reality, something that had never been experienced before, to bring life out of death. God came to raise Jesus from the dead, to defeat death and sin. And that is a hard tale to swallow, especially if you were hearing it for the first time. Um, I sometimes read some stuff by the writer Anna Carter Florence, and she has written some interesting things about the resurrection, including this question. She asked, If the dead don't stay dead, what can you count on? Resurrection breaks the rules. Resurrection is a different kind of reality. Now, most of us will admit that we're not all completely satisfied with the rules that are in force here on our world, that sometimes stuff happens that we don't really like, sometimes downright awful stuff, tragic and painful. But at least we know the rules. We know what's supposed to happen. And so that can give us some kind of comfort just because it's predictable. But resurrection upsets all that. Resurrection completely changes the game, throws all the rules out the window, and it generally turns our neat, orderly lives into completely unexpected directions. I think if we don't find resurrection at least a little bit hard to swallow, then we haven't taken resurrection seriously enough. Resurrection is tough, hard to get our minds around. And this is exactly how everyone in the first Easter story reacted. They found it hard to believe. And this is one of the reasons why the story rings so true. They were confronted with something that was completely outside of their expectations, and they have to figure it out on the fly. It is shocking. We should probably worry more if the story did not react, if nobody in the story reacted with any surprise, if no one had any shock, if no one had any doubt. Then you'd think, well, they're making up this story. But this story rings very true, which is actually very good news for any of us here today who might have a little bit of doubt about the resurrection, because it can be a hard thing to believe. If you have some doubt today, then you're in really good company. You're in the same company as these early disciples, and many, disciples, many followers of Jesus since that first day have had some doubts about this, and if you have doubts, this is what I would suggest. Keep digging. Keep exploring. Keep trying to understand what's going on. Jesus is risen from the dead, and these six words are too important to take them lightly. We should dig into them and study them carefully. Now, the story ends with verse 12 in Luke with these words. Then Peter got up and he ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking inside, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. Then he went home amazed at what had happened. And there might be another way to describe this reaction. Peter, it finally is sinking in with him. He's thinking something amazing has happened. And something amazing is about to happen. I can anticipate Peter getting excited. 
He would have no idea what this would all mean, but he, we would see that very shortly the lives of all the disciples are turned upside down. These men who were so afraid that they went into hiding when Jesus was arrested eventually become so bold in proclaiming the gospel that it goes to the entire known world. And then they defend the truth of the resurrection to the point where they all give their very lives for this truth. This changes everything. Something amazing is about to happen. The whole world is transformed, and then the world is transformed a thousand times over because of the truth that Jesus is risen from the dead. So my main question today is this. What about you? Are you sitting there today filled with awe and wonder? Are you amazed by this truth? Do you think it has transforming power in your life? What would it look like if each of us allowed the wonder of this resurrection to grip us and to change us? What if it would break upon us in new ways? Would it deepen our love for Jesus so that we would fall in love with Jesus more and more? Would it grow our faith so that we would have greater and greater confidence in trusting God? Would it strengthen our commitment to follow God, to obey Him, to do everything that He asks us to do? Would it expand our desire for participation, to be part of a community that believes this, to be actively engaged in a community of faith? Would it fire up our boldness so that we would go out into the world and say, gosh, i got to tell somebody about this. This is, this is good news. Jesus is risen from the dead. Would it give our lives meaning? Would it inspire hope? How do you imagine the resurrection transforming you? Not just today, but every day. So I'm reading another memoir. I typically have two or three going at a time. I picked this one up about the same time I picked that one up. And this is the story of a woman who in a six-month time period lost her husband to cancer, had a stillborn baby, and lost her husband after a three-year battle with a brain tumor. She buried her husband on her wedding anniversary, and she woke up the very next morning and realized she was a 31-year-old widow with a two-year-old to raise by herself. And here is her memoir. She couldn't come up with six words because she was faced with such grief. That's actually the title of the book, No Happy Endings. And I'm only about six chapters into this book so far, and I'll warn you if you want to read it, it's a whole lot of heartache. That's what it is so far. I don't know if there's going to be a happy ending, but if she's true to her title, I'm guessing it's not going to be. But she is actually wrestling with the same kinds of questions that all of us have to wrestle with. And that question is, how do I make sense out of my life? How do I make sense out of the ups and downs? How do I make sense out of the tragedies that I experience? How do I make sense out of the pain that I have? How do I make sense out of the joys that I have? Now, you can't see the cover probably from where you're sitting, but the cover is covered with these little spots, and half of them are hearts, and half of them are tears, which is in a very appropriate image of reality, don't you think? Because, again, there's two realities that we all have to face, grief and joy, pain and pleasure, life and death. This is something we all have to face. And I'm wondering if you 
considering all that you've experienced in your life so far, had to write a six-word memoir, what six words would you choose? What message would you give? Would it be one that is super depressing, or would it be one that has hope in it? Well, I have a memoir that fits me. It used to fit me, and it's a memoir that always ends in heartache. Here it, here it is. Now, I know that this memoir brings heartache because for years, this was my story. I was very self-centered, very self-reliant, very selfish. I thought I could do everything myself. I thought I could do everything without God. And I lived my life that way. And I messed up time and time and time again. And I would just keep trying to do it myself time and time and time again. And I got the same dumb result every time. And one day, something got my attention. It started to transform me. It started to help me realize that a life of self-reliance, of selfishness, of self-righteousness, that means I thought I could make myself good, is going to end in heartache. A life without God, a life without faith, without hope, that is a recipe for an unhappy ending. Something helped me understand that. And I think at the core of my change, my transformation, were these six words. There was a day when I realized this is true. Jesus really is risen from the dead. And because he's risen from the dead, that changes everything. And so instead of relying on myself, trusting in my own abilities, depending on my own self-reliance to pull myself up from my bootstraps to do the good things that I think I should do, I realized I needed to confess my selfishness, I needed to trust in Jesus, and I needed to ask Him to be my Lord and Savior. And I knew that God could do this. He could fix my mess, because if He had the power to raise Jesus from the dead, then He had the power to clean up the mess in my life. And I prayed to accept Jesus as my Savior. I trusted that He lived and died and rose again for me, and I confessed my sins and I, my life has changed from that moment on. My life made sense. Now, I'm not going to say that my life has always been easy. And I'm not going to say that my life has been without more mess. But I know that even in the middle of the messiest times of my life, Jesus is still risen from the dead. And God still has the power to fix my life. So now I have a new memoir. I've just been working on this all week long. And I just finally finished it this morning. So I'm just going to read it to you. Here's my new six words for my memoir. Chaotic mess, made new, thank God. Because Jesus is risen from the dead, your story can be made new again too. And that's my hope and prayer for all of us today. So let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you today and I want to give you thanks because of your great love for us. And God, we see the love revealed in the sending of your very own son and in raising him from the dead on our behalf. And God, we thank you for the power that is present in that resurrection, and we know that that same power is available in our lives so that, God, you can transform even the most chaotic and the most painful and the most tragic story into good news. You can turn every unhappy story into joy. And so, God, we thank you for that. I want to pray specifically this morning for those that might be sitting here and 
feeling a little bit of doubt about all of this. I pray that your Holy Spirit would come and help them as they explore it, as they dig into it, as they seek truth. God, reveal yourself to them. I want to pray for anyone today who might be here and they're feeling kind of apathetic about this good news of resurrection. They're not sure, they're not feeling awe and wonder and amazement. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would grab a hold of them and help them to recognize that that resurrection changes everything. And God, for those who are here today and their hearts are filled with joy and celebration, they're so grateful for the good news of the resurrection, pray that your Spirit would come and grow in them even greater love for you and greater anticipation of the good things that are about to happen. God, a special prayer this morning for someone who might be here today, and they are in the middle of a story that looks like it has no happy ending. They are feeling pain and they're suffering, sadness and difficulty, God. I pray that you would come near to them to give them comfort that you would rescue them from that pain, that you would bring some of us close to them to offer encouragement and hope, that you would turn their eyes towards you, that you would bring healing and hope and strength and, and whatever is needed most. Above all, God, today we want to give you praise and thanks because you are a good God and your love is renewed every morning for us. And we know that is true because Jesus is risen from the dead. So we thank you and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you